Welcome to the Flight Test Podcast. Uh, I got myself and my buddy Josh Bixler here, and we're, we're actually joined by a, a new friend of ours, Creighton King. He's amazing. Um, you guys may recognize the name from some of our recent vlogs. Stefan and I had the opportunity to go out to Utah uh, and shoot some videos, and we got to fly through the backcountry of Utah with the Flying Cowboys, and Creighton is one of the Flying Cowboys. So, Creighton, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Love the uh, love the videos. It's been fun to uh, get familiar back with the RC world. I, I had to leave a few years ago because I couldn't afford to do both. <laughs> I, I believe that. Well, for those of you guys listening and for the people who did see the videos, Creighton was the one that was flying the uh, Super Cub. It's the one with the trainer colors, the yellow and the blue with the American flag on and the tail. I think tail. the biggest motor out of all of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So well, it's easier to put more motor in it than lose weight. it's incredible and i heard the super cup had a really special story and and that's what really got me excited uh, about having you on today and stuff uh did i hear correctly that this was a restoration project between you and your dad so it's not a restoration it's actually built from scratch my dad started building this airplane in the garage when i was four years old and uh it took him 14 years to get it done oh my gosh i kind of finished up for him back when i was 18 and did the initial test flying and and it's still part of the family today. It's been flying now since about 1990. So. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. That's really cool. And actually, it's a great uh, great note yeah. to start on. Uh, we normally anybody new on the podcast, we normally start by kind of like talking about their history, um, if they're RC pilots, how they got into RC. In your case, since you're you more of a general aviation kind of guy with a little bit of RC. How did it all start? Obviously, you know, your dad, that's that's a lot of times the story we hear is it's, it's family. You know, tell us a little bit about your dad and uh, your upbringing and how you got your pilot's license. And how, how'd you, how did it all start for you? How did you get into flying? Well, it really goes back to my grandfather, who was Western Air Express's number two mechanic back in the 1920s and wow. 30s. And then he ended up in, um, you know, working on DC-3s and DC-4s up through that during World War II. They were actually up in Alaska taking care of uh, C-47s and C-39s as they went over to uh, Lend-Lease in, in Russia. And so my dad was actually up there as just an infant up in Alaska. His grandpa worked on airplanes changing, doing their first oil changes. And then uh, dad always wanted to learn to fly and took a few lessons here and there. And grandpa, unfortunately, passed away when I was really young. But um, my dad really wanted an airplane and he couldn't afford it. So we thought I'd build one. So we started <laughs> off going to Oshkosh when I was four years old. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, that's, and that's the ultimate thing is like, you can do really big things if you do one small piece at a time. Yeah. My, my dad, you know, my mom bought him the plans for this airplane. It was a wag arrow cubby were the plans. And I guess they were like 110 bucks or something. And mom bought, bought them for dad and, much to her chagrin, he actually started building an airplane. He <laughs> saved a certain amount of money in a separate account every paycheck and buy a little here and there. And and uh, his goal was to do something every day, even if it was just painting the head of a screw. So a little here, a little there, and um, eventually it got finished. So that's fantastic. And just to give people a time reference, like what year? What year? Not to age you, but what year was that that you and your yeah. dad were were building? So I, I was born in 72. I'm pretty old. And uh, dad started building in 76, 77, right around there. Um, and it, then it flew in 1990. So, it, you know, it took 13, 14 years. 
to build it. But this is built from scratch. You know, a lot of a lot of the other airplanes that are home built are kits. You know, most of the parts are already done. And, um, you know, a lot of things are riveted together or welded, even come painted, ready to cover. This was my dad building a table on the side of the garage that was the length of the fuselage. And he built the right side, then the left side, and then put the two together and welded all the tubes and um, even built the engine from a converted ground power unit that he bought from a guy for 200 bucks. And <laughs> he just had to do it a few bucks at a time. And, and it's been a great airplane. Well, that's that's pretty cool. What an inspiration! And and was I yeah. is it, was I correct? And is it technically considered a super cub, or it, how does that work? I've actually before meeting you, I didn't really actually realize you could scratch build something like that. Um, it, what was the name of the kit, and like, uh, is it still available today? Yeah, this was um, a set of plans that were drawn up to basically replicate the J three cub. Okay, and those and they sold those as the cubby. For a few years until Piper said, no, he can't call the cubby. And they call it the sport trainer now. And it's been called that ever since. You can buy a set of plans from Wagero and buy some steel and get building. And a lot of airplanes have been built that way. Um, but nowadays, a lot of people, they just, they get a, a few slides that's already welded up. And you just save time because, you know, the only thing that marches on is time, really. You can spend 14 <laughs> years building an airplane. You know, you may not have as much time flying it. Eventually, my dad got kind of tired of building it after a partner that was building the wings, lost the job and sold the wings out from us. Um, my dad bought a tri-pacer mm, for okay. five grand. It was ugly oh. sitting out here on the ramp. And and we started flying in that when I was 14. And the airplane sat for a few years, the Cub. And uh, eventually we both both learned to fly in the tri-pacer and took our first long cross-country when dad had his license just four days. And we flew to Oshkosh. When I was 14 years old. Oh my goodness! Wow, that's... And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just headed off and woo. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the tri pacer. Oh my goodness, what a what an ugly airplane, but wonderful plane at the same time. My my dad had one, and hey hey, tri pacers are awesome. Molly Milk I'm, Store, right? Yeah, I've got mine here, so, <laughs> so I restored I restored this airplane about 15 years ago after my wow. brother had wrecked it out in Wendover. So wow. now did you do the we still have it. Do you do the pacer conversion or do you have the nose gear in the front still? No, I still have I'm gonna have the last tri pacer. That's my goal. So. <laughs> well, I love it. well here's the thing, is as I, I call them ugly affectionately. It was by far my, <laughs> my favorite plane um because we had hundred and fifty yeah. horse like homing in it and I was yeah, at the time maybe a buck fifty. Um so oh, so basically I couldn't get the full throttle before the thing was in the air and I would have to climb at such an angle where I'd reduce the power just to be able to see over the nose. And it was such yep. a fun plane, smooth plane to fly. Um, I love the way they yeah. look as a tail dragger. And, and I've seen a lot of stall conversions yeah. on those too. Yeah. They they are a more attractive airplane with the uh, little wheel in the right place. But uh, <laughs> the Tri-Pacer, you know, my daughters love to go flying in the Tri-Pacer. Yeah. Because they like to sit next to dad and they can, uh, my daughter who's, uh, 11 and my other one's 13 they can both start the airplane taxi it out take it off oh it's wow. easy to do with a tri-pacer it's Incredible. a little bit more difficult with the cub it really is an easy plane um the first flight that i actually got, got to fly at the time my girlfriend uh now my wife uh, was in the tri-pacer uh -huh. and my dad and i were in the front nice. seat i was left side he was right side and she was in the back seat and uh, we had a slight crosswind mm -hmm. and where oh. where barber's uh, runway 18 is is there's trees on both sides so there's like a rolling turbulence 
and we rotated mm-hmm. and got maybe 10 feet in the air and we got hit by this really hard. It was much worse than we anticipated. I'm white knuckling yeah. it like crazy. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this girl's ever going to get an airplane with me ever again. <laughs> and yeah. my dad and I look back after we climb out and get out of the turbulence and she has her hands on her lap and just happy looking out the window, totally oblivious to like how freaked out we were at that moment. <laughs> my dad, my dad elbows me over and we had the comms on. My wife didn't because we only had two. And he's like, marry that girl. <laughs> and, she's, a, uh, she's a keeper. She's a keeper. And, uh, and yeah. so I did, but, uh, that, yeah, that's, awesome. that's incredible. Now going back to your, uh, your, your cubby, um, oftentimes yeah. when there's a plan designed, usually there's unique benefits. Can you explain like what the difference is between, um, the home built that you have and the stock and, and any improvements or differences that were designed into your airframe? So when dad built this, he, he, he tried to just kind of stick with the plans as much as he could. He didn't make a lot of changes. So it ended up with stock gear and stock length gear and a 290 horse engine and uh, ready to fly minus the wings. Um, but they, the other guy kind of sold out the wings from us. And so we, we ended up, we were going to build wings. And then we found these wings from Univair that are NATO surplus built in the early 1970s for um, NATO Italian L21s, so which are super cub wings. So we bought the wings, but then we had to cut the top of the airplane off because the spars attach differently between a super cub and a J3. Okay. So, so we ended up changing the top to be more like a super cub. And so we have the advantage of having better headroom of the super cub compared to a J3. So you don't have that spar running kind of right through the middle. Um, so what we have is basically it's a J3, which has a little bit smaller tubing size, it's a little bit lighter, but with a super cub wing on it. And then we have it strengthened up in the front to put the big engine on it. And about 10 years ago, I took off the 290 and put on the 360 that, uh, that we built up. And it's got, it makes great power. So what we've got is, is, is an airplane that's almost as light as a carbon cub, but we're only in it you know, 40 grand instead of 200. <laughs> oh my but it, uh, well, yeah. So it, it weighs a thousand thirty pounds and you know, the other carbon cause we were flying with the other day, they weigh, you know, like nine eighty or a thousand. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we're a little bit heavier, but. And you said stock, like the original one you had, had 200, what did you say? 290 in it? Yeah. It had an O290, which is 125 horse. 125 horsepower. And I remember yeah. the Cubs originally and, flying like the T-Crafts off a of 65 horse. No problem. Yep. Yeah, the very first Cub was designed with 37 horsepower. Yeah. So the J2. So the A40, right? I, I w- yeah, the A40. I wouldn't want to fly one of those, no, at least no. not at my elevation. <laughs> Trust me, fly, flying mean, at 40 horsepower is not fun. Oh, man. I mean, just pull your airplane to the idle and see how much you fly. You know? Well, yeah, that was uh, that was really cool when we were out in Utah creating um, – you actually took Brandon and you two guys, along with myself, we were probably the three biggest guys and two of the big guys were in uh-huh. your plane and uh, you were able to bring them out to all those awesome locations. And again, I can't thank you enough because uh, Brandon was from the Shonduras crew and so was uh, Marco Marcos. And uh, there was at one point or another, there was a chance that neither of them were going to go. And between you, Creighton, yeah. and also Mike, uh, you guys made it a reality, and you guys made them so they both were able to come. And to this day, we actually just talked to them yesterday. Um, they are yeah. still reeling off of that experience. It was a really, really cool experience for both of them. 
Um, so thank thank you again. I mean, that was that was really cool yeah. for you guys to do that because I know you guys were sacrificing. Same with Mark. Uh, Mark Patey, he he's the one that took me. You guys sacrificed mm-hmm. uh, probably a lot of fun of landing on some gravel <laughs> bars and stuff like that, just so you could take us along and have us experience that. And it was it was for me it was life changing. It was really really cool. Um, and spe- oh, speaking of speaking of those guys, um, yeah, that, that's a good story. How how uh, how did you get in touch with the Flying Cowboys? How did how did they come about? Um, how did you get involved with them? And how long how long has that been going? Well, when we grew up, it was airplanes and Jeeps and uh, Jeep Safari and stuff like that. And so right after I was married, you know, in the early 20s, I had this Jeep that my wife got in an accident. And uh, so I fixed it by putting a lift on it and a different transmission and making a rock crawler out of it. <laughs> and uh, before long, I started rock crawling. Competition rock crawling was just starting at the time. And, yeah. Um, so I was involved there. I had kind of started the U-Rock series. You know, I did... As a uh, communications class, I developed the rules and score sheets and stuff. And uh, Mark Patey and Mike, they ended up buying the UROC series. They were competitors, and then they bought that series. And um, shortly after that, I ended up changing from being a competitor to working for my sponsor, uh, Maxis Tires. So I became an independent contractor doing event services for Maxis. I do about 40 events a year everything from short course to drift to bike races and traveling the country, you know, promoting tires and got into developing products and, um, you know, different tire designs. And, you know, when they got out of UROC, um, we stayed in touch a little bit and then, then found out they're into airplanes and I'm in airplanes and we started flying around a little bit. And what's funny, if you look at Mark Patey's um, 801 pilot YouTube, you'll see a video from about seven or eight years ago where we flew to some of those same spots, mm-hmm. but we flew in different airplanes. You know, I flew with mine with the small engine then. Um, <laughs> and we just kind of kept flying. Um, then a few years back, we really started, become, we became business partners. When I told him the idea of grip lock ties, and I told him one night, it was like one o'clock in the morning at Oshkosh in the park, in the campground. And, you know, what are you gonna do with Maxis? I said, I don't know. It's a lot of work, and I'm kind of tired of it. And I said, I came up with this idea for rubber line zip tie. And he's like, oh, eh, you know. And I told him about it and showed him, and he's like, the brilliant, I want in. So nice. we became business partners shortly after that. So between, you know, we do business meetings and product development, and I've worked with uh, designing a lot of things there at Best Hugs. And mm-hmm. um, we just kept flying. And it was actually on a Best Hugs trip where I said, look, Mark, you really need to get into, into tail draggers. It's so much fun. He goes, ah, I don't know. And so we ended up after a day or so of talking in the motorhome, he bought a uh, Rans S7. Um, and he wasn't a tail dragger pilot at the time. So I checked him out in the, uh, in my cub and his first tail dragger time was in my cub. Oh, wow. And then That's he awesome. bought that S7 and he's flying a lot and getting better. And, you know, then we could fly together and sit, cause I don't have a, you know, 350 mile an hour, uh, turbine powered, you know, Lancer. You know. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and for those for those of you guys listening, he's referring to Mark and Mike. Those are they're actually I think they're twin brothers. Uh, but I flew yeah, with I flew with Mark in the videos in his carbon cub, and uh, Mike was mm-hmm. the one flying the big old crazy Wilga, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah, 
Um, but you yeah, could tell, yeah. even just spending the one day with you guys, I could tell that there was some history there. I didn't know qu- quite exactly what it was, but I could tell you guys were close. I could just see like the, you know, the fellowship and the bonding between you guys. It was really cool to see. Um, well, the cool thing about our group is, you know, these guys are, you know, they're, they're sure of themselves. They're smart. They're mm-hmm. nice people. They, you know, we, we try to maintain some of the same, you know, uh, spiritual standards and, and they're, you know, they're, they're fun to hang out with. We love hanging out with airplanes. We can talk about great ideas and, and how to promote, you know, our businesses and design better things and, and try to solve the world's problems by going fast and in fast airplanes and going slow and slower. <laughs> I love it. Well, very, yeah, very... I'm, I'm, at, I'm out of the airport working on my research today. So. Oh my nice. God. Yeah. Well, that's actually another topic we'll get into here shortly, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it was really cool, not only like getting to fly, obviously, the flying and the, the adventuring was amazing, but also just getting to know is awesome group of guys flying with the Flying Cowboys. And actually, since yeah. I've become friends with all you guys on Facebook and I've been keeping up and uh, between, you know, you and, and Mark and, and Corey and some of the other guys, like you guys have been doing uh, search and rescue missions for there's been a couple missing yeah. person cases in your guys's area. And uh, uh, I know Corey has been donating his time with his carbon cub and fuel costs and all that mm-hmm. stuff to go out and uh, search for people, which I think the most recent one they actually found, which is awesome. Um, but it's just yeah. a, it's a, that uni- was, that was an older guy that we, we went and looked for him and that he was found, but I didn't find him from the air, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was found. That's all that matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's a, it's super, super cool group of, uh, flying guys. It's, it's kind of interesting when you bring a bunch of guys together that have like, you know, the same common interests, uh, you know, what can be done, you know, between, between everyone's abilities. So mm-hmm. very, very yeah. cool. It and- is. It's really cool. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted to get on to uh, your racer. And first off, your your dad, uh, your dad's still around, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, dad's still around. He had cancer about ten years ago, and he lost his medical, but he's in the process of getting it back. And oh wow, you know, he always loves to fly. And, and uh, the fantastic. only thing he's ever mad at is when I go flying without him. He's like, ah, <laughs> and rightfully but so. I'm like, yeah, you know, if you could lose, you know, like if you could end up at like eighty pounds, then we could really be. That'd really be spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So you got the you have the tripacer, you have your cub, and then uh, uh-huh. what other planes do you have? So I've got two other projects that I'm kind of sort of on hold a little bit. My super casset with a Lycoming uh, that I designed with a really big wing and hold a lot of fuel to set a coast to coast speed record. But uh, then I got a regular casset. I don't want to sit in one that long anymore, so I haven't worked on that. But I do have my my probably my I don't know. It's tough to say what's my favorite, whether it's my racer or my cub. But the racer is a total adrenaline rush because it's it's a casset, and there you know a lot of RC guys know of a casset. Yeah. There's a, a couple of ready to fly ones out there. Um, my casset is was originally built by a guy back through the 90s. He was like 90 years old. And uh, he was he flew it a couple times, and his kids stole it from him and hid it in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. Um, he ended up passing, and then I bought it from another guy. And it took me a while to get all the AutoZone and Home Depot out of it, and all the Harbor Freight. But uh, we got it flying, and then then I rebuilt it because it was just ugly. So we've well, been racing since 2011. Oh, my oh, very, very cool. For for people who aren't familiar with the Cassidy, can you kind of explain like the type of aircraft that is? Yeah, you bet. So the Cassidy is about as simple as you get for an airplane. 
if you want to go fast. It has a uh, 100 horsepower Continental O200, and it fits within the Formula One race specs of pretty much a stock engine. You know, some porting and polishing a little bit here and there, but you put a small prop on it, you turn a lot of RPM and go fast. It has a welded steel tube fuselage, and then it has a wing that's a mid-wing. It kind of sits right kind of at your waist height, and the spar runs right over your thighs, right behind the instrument panel. It's all one piece. Uh, most of those wings are 15 foot with a 57-inch um, cord, which gives you 66 square feet of wing, which is what you need for the race class. Um, it's covered with fabric. And my airplane has been uh, rebuilt a couple times because a hangar fell on it in Ohio a few years back and smashed it, so I had to rebuild it. Jeez. And uh, when I rebuilt it, I uh, made it faster. So we're now <laughs> of course. over 40 miles an hour faster um, this year than we were in Reno in 2011. So, wow, that's a, wow. quite a big difference. Yeah, Incredible. so we're we're doing laps of, you know, we raced in Thailand in November. We were doing laps about, you know, 218 miles an hour. Holy cow. So, yeah, that's crazy. So, horse. so how long have you been racing? So... Uh, the airplane's been racing since 2011. Jay Jones raced it that year. Um, I actually don't do the pylon racing. Um, it is dangerous, and I have some small kids at home. Sure. Um, so in a few years when my kids are gone, then, then I expect to be racing at that point. But, um, you know, we lose a pilot in Formula One up every 10 years. So Wow, yeah. And it's been 11. So, so one of my first formula one races i went to was when gary hubler who was the champion passed away in a race because of, of midair and uh at that point i decided i wanted a cassette i just wasn't ready to race it sure. so i do cross-country air racing like the uh sport air racing league and the air venture cup and i'm good with that that's it's a blast so you just kind of keep it steady and push it full forward and see how fast you can get from point to point how does a competition like that work like the the cross country that you're talking about so cross country is you start in like 30 second intervals and they give you a start time and then at the finish line they you know do another stopwatch and you add up the time and and uh convert to miles an hour and person with the fastest time wins nice very very cool it's not as exciting as as pylon racing pylon racing in reno is it's not Red Bull against the clock. It's real head-to-head. Eight airplanes take off at the same time on the same runway with drop of the green flag, and you know, first one to make eight or ten laps wins the race. And that's it's intense and it's super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We hope to make it out to Reno. We actually we went out to the Red Bull Air races this past year, and it was our first time mm-hmm. going, and it was absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, the, I mean the flying and everything. Yeah, we, the whole we entire don't do event. any aerobatics. Sure. We don't do any aerobatics, but we we just go fast. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, we, we. But it's, but Red Bull's cool. Yeah, we hope to make it out to uh, Reno here at yeah. some point in the near future. Um, what we'll, we'll blows my well, mind? Well, hopefully, what we can do is we can, we can put you on the, uh, the last lap player. That's the name of my airplane. <laughs> we can put you on the crew and make you like wipe some bugs off or something. Love it. Love <laughs> yeah, it. I'll wipe some bugs. <laughs> Leading engine props, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can sand some. You can sand some of the uh, paint off the propeller. You know, I sanded the wingtips on this in Thailand. It okay. gave us like three miles an hour just by sanding off the paint bumps. 
Oh wow. My goodness. That's it's incredible just to hear like how many different aspects of flight that you you participate in, but just your passion and and the stories behind it are all so unique and so different from each other. You know, going from landing on gravel yeah. bars uh to jumping over <laughs> and flying uh you know races, it, it's incredible to go from one extreme to yeah. the other. And I haven't met many people that do that. Well, I've been very blessed. You know, I I've I love flying. I love building airplanes right now i'm building a new tail for the for the racer i'm gonna i think there's five miles an hour by changing it from the horizontal stabilizer where the current location is to make it a t-tail wow so so i'm gonna cut the whole tail off and put a t-tail on it that's crazy just out of curiosity what makes you think that the t-tail will give you a little bit more speed well it, it really has to do with intersection drag because you have basically four ninety degree angles where the current horizontal stabilizer is, you know, uh, between the, the fin and the horizontal, then the horizontal and below the fin. So you have four angles, and each angle, each intersection gives you drag. By moving the T tail up to the top, then we we only have two intersections. Yeah. So the top won't, you know, the top's just going to be right at the top. The thing is, like a lot of T tails, the idea was put it up in clean air. And maybe that works with like a you know a Piper Tomahawk or something like that, but on this it's a tail dragger with a non-steerable tail wheel, so you you have to be able to have the horizontal stabilizer in the prop wash so you can lift the tail to turn it, or keep the tail down when you're doing a run up. So it's it's not like a really high T tail, it's kind of lower. It's about where it'll be about the height of a standard cassock tail. Okay. So we'll be right on the top. Interesting. So, yeah. so how you do know, you how do you go about cutting off a tail uh, <laughs> on a plane like that? <laughs> I got a visual in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is you don't just you know take a sawzall. Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you, we're gonna cut some fabric, and uh, I've been studying it, and I've got it figured out. Um, I'm basically going to take the area from where the horizontal is normally attached right at the top of the longerons and triangulate that up to the top and basically building a beam for the main spar of the vertical stabilizer. And then that will go up to the top. And then the where the current tail post is, I'm going to cut that off. And the new tail post will actually be angled back a little bit um, so I can move the horizontal rearward about six inches. Um, and I'll put a double tail post in the back so it's wider and more stiff and then some triangulation and then the uh horizontal kind of bolts on the same with four bolts and it just bolts on higher and then i'll build a you know carbon fiber you know skin for that but the structure will be all internal so, wow that's gonna be neat pretty yeah, I mean, should take a couple hours <laughs> Now is is uh, is is the CASA is it considered experimental so that you don't really have to worry too yeah. much about uh, inspections or anything? Okay, interesting. Right. So the CASA the CASA is experimental, and I've actually I actually own the rights to the CASA to sell the plans. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so I bought it from a guy, and then he uh, when he passed away, and I've just kind of considered myself a custodian of the design by making a few parts available like cowlings. Sure. Um, you know, tail wheel assemblies and and plans and advice. And so, you know, if you go to you know my website, cassetaircraft.com, you know, you can get in touch with me if you want to build a cassette. Um, nice. You know, it's not. 
you know, the Cassett's a pretty rare airplane. Not a lot of people need a 230 mile an hour single seater. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, everybody wants one, but you know, they they've limited range. Um, there's really no space for anything beyond like a small backpack, um, and not really that comfortable. Um, <laughs> they land a little fast. Um, you know, I'm 120 in the pattern, 120 at the start of final, 110 over the fence. Um, That's fast. But I can, it is fast. It's not the same speeds of like like a Cessna 310. Yeah. But, but it doesn't have flaps. So you don't, it has a lot of wing area for the weight, but without flaps, you just can't get that angle of attack right. Because if you, if you really slow it down, because it'll stall like uh, 69, 67, 65, somewhere in there. But you can't land it at 70 because the tail hits first, and then the then the gear slams down. So you got to kind of fly it on, um, in kind of a wheel landing or it's all, a wheel landing is almost like a three point with it because it sits pretty flat. Um, it's a great fun airplane. There have been about 600 of them built. Um, there had been kits available at one point. Um, it was designed for air racing, but it also makes a great sport plane. So that's awesome. It's fun. Now, do I remember correctly, when you say Cassett, I, I immediately remembered something that used to fly into to the field my dad had, or that my dad uh-huh. was at. Um, was there a smaller version called like a Casket, or like a VW-powered little racer, or am I just crazy? Well, so they are really small. Like, most of them are like 17 feet long with a 15-foot wingspan. Okay. Um, That's tiny. And it was designed, it's tiny. There's a guy named Tom Cassett who d- designed the airplane. Um, there were a lot of Formula Ones designed in the late 40s, early 50s, through the 50s that were close to a Cassett. But Tom okay. Cassett kind of built it. And then when EAA um, wanted, they're like, hey, we need some plans for building an airplane. And Tom Cassett drew it down on three sheets of paper and sold plans for 25 bucks a piece. Oh and a lot goodness. of the airplanes were built. Later, um, it was designed for Formula One. Then um, Steve Whitman brought out, was pushing for a Volkswagen class, Formula V. And they, <laughs> they, they built a lighter version, which is called the Renegade. Okay. Um, which, you know, smaller tubing size, a little bit more wing area, 1,600 horse VW. Uh, the most famous form, Formula V airplane would be the, um, uh, the Sonorai. Yeah. So, okay. The That's- Sonorai... Yeah, so the Sonorai is kind of, they kind of, they're very similar in appearance. The Cassett just has a bigger engine and it's way faster. So. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, the stuff. I was always wondering, you know, because sometimes plane names kind of morph from one plane to the other where they're not all that, that case. Yeah. But I just remembered seeing this little tiny one and them calling that, and I couldn't I couldn't place whether it was just a, yeah. a variant or not. Um, that That's incredible. So what was your first well, experience? My, oh, go ahead. Uh, the old-timer down the road, Dennis, he calls it a cas- a casket. He's, he's like, you're going to kill yourself with that thing. And it's like, well, you know, the most dangerous place you'll ever be is in the shower. Well, there you go. People die in the shower more than die in airplanes. So. <laughs> my uh, funny story, speaking of, you know, people saying you're going to die in that. Um, my, my mother-in-law yeah. saw for the first time the plane that at the time uh, my dad and I were building together, the Peaton Pole. Um, it was oh, cool. in, it was in my uh, my one room of the house and stuff, and I was showing her the tail feathers, and she's like, oh, where's the metal? And I'm like, well, no, it's all wood. And she's like, are there nails? I'm like, well, no, we pull the nails out. It's glue. And she's yeah. like, well, that's that's nice, sweetie. And she pulled my wife around the corner, 
And she's like, honey, you yeah. need to get a really good life insurance policy on your husband. <laughs> it was like this girl of wisdom and stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it's it's crazy how that, you know, the perception and, and the reality, usually these planes are incredibly safe as long as you make them safe. You know, most accidents are pilot error, which means um, you screwed up. Yeah. Um, most car accidents are the same. Yeah. You know, I try to remind myself. Uh, there's actually something on my instrument panel. I have a big sticker that says, don't do nothing stupid. Um, you just got to remember that even though you want to fly around all day at 50 feet and 200 and something miles an hour, it's not the safest. Yeah. So, you know, try to remember to don't hit things. So don't hit things, um, land safely and don't catch on fire. You know, if you can follow those rules, you're you're going to live a lot longer in an airplane. I like that. You could write that in a book and sell that. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. It, yeah, it's actually quite a bit different. For those of you guys listening, it's quite a bit different than the RC hobby. Yeah. <laughs> where where the, sketch, the, the sketchier it is, the more fun it is. Yeah. Um, flying, yeah. flying real airplanes, and I, I've kind of been getting more of a grasp on this uh, as I grow as a pilot. I flew a lot with, uh-huh. my, with my dad when I was going through high school and stuff and uh, going to get my private. And, um, uh-huh. I decided early on when I was pretty young, I didn't want to get, I, I didn't want aviation to become a career. I wanted, if I wanted to enjoy it as a recreation. <laughs> so funny that you say that now. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. I, I just didn't want to be a commercial pilot basically. And, uh, so yeah. I, st- I stopped flying and I hadn't really had any experience flying up until this past year. We learned how to fly the paramotors and being up in yeah. the air by myself and making the decisions on my own. Um, it, it really has been an interesting, and it was something that they trained us too yeah. down at Aviator PPG is flying is literally as safe as you make it. And can paramotors be yeah. dangerous? Yeah. If you're flying an unclassified wing, if you're doing high energy maneuvers, if you're, you know, flying over sketchy areas and stuff like that, it's extremely un- power lines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you fly the type of wing that we have, which is a class A, it's the safest. If you fly like I fly, which I just kind of puts around, it's honestly statistically, and this is a fact, it's actually safer than driving my car down the highway at 65 miles an hour um so that's what that's what people mean when they say flying is basically as safe safe as you make it and uh, once you Mm -hmm. once you kind of learn a lot about that you know the idea of becoming a pilot or the idea of flying uh becomes a lot more uh you know a lot a lot less intimidating so Creighton, yeah. I know uh, we unfortunately we only had the privilege of spending the one day together. Uh, I, I think it mm-hmm. could have easily been a week or two. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, I know I we like I said earlier we've been friends on Facebook. I noticed uh, you you and uh, your lovely wife in your profile picture, and you said you have two daughters, right? Oh, sorry. Oh yeah, I was just saying I noticed on your uh, Facebook that you uh, your profile picture is you and your lovely wife, and you also mentioned you have two daughters, yeah. right? Yeah, two girls. Awesome. Three. So age age eleven and thirteen, and and they like to go flying in the tripacer, and and now um, they like to fly in the cub, but only if they get to sit in the front. Very cool. How? Um, yeah. uh, I, and by the way, I actually have my own daughter. She's about two and a half, and we just announced we're having our second baby. We don't know if it's a boy or girl. <laughs> uh, but coming congratulations up, coming up this July. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much, man. It's it's the best. That's awesome. I don't know. We don't know the gender yet, but I I got a feeling I might be in a similar situation to you with a you know me and a bunch of girls, <laughs> which I'm okay with. I'm actually very okay yeah. with it. Uh, but very cool. So are girls, you? Go ahead. Sorry. Girls are lighter for the back seat. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, and my my daughter's name is Violet, so it only makes sense that she has nice. to become Violet the pilot. You know. 
Nice. Well, my my youngest daughter, her name is Amelia. Oh, nice. Like Amelia Earhart. And then my oldest, her name is Allison, like the uh, Allison engine. engine. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Beautiful. I love it. So, how does your wife deal with uh, with your aviation addiction? Is she is she a, a, a aviation nut as well, or is she very patient? How does she deal with it? You know, if you look at her Facebook page, um, you'll probably see she usually her profile picture is usually us in the airplane together. I she did loves see to that. Fly. Yeah. Yeah. She loves to fly. She loves to come with me. You know, aviation can be um, an addiction, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I have to, you know, realize that I can't just buy a really sweet um, 300 mile an hour uh, turboprop today. You know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you, you've gotta aviate where you can afford. Yeah, so there you go. My my aviation has been cheaper than than a lot of my friends. So, you know, you are you're Mike's hanger, and and that's a. Uh, a little bit uh, different tax bracket of flying than mine. <laughs> so um, I do I do most of the work myself. You know, when I wanted to build new wingtips for the Cassett, I did it myself. Um, you know, I do a, a lot of times I, I'll do a little work for this or that, you know, for a guy painting something or fixing something. And that money kind of goes into my aviation PayPal account, you know, so, so that's what I buy fuel with, and and I don't have fancy glass panels, um, you know. In fact, you know, my partner, one of my buddies, uh, Ezra, you know, he needed an airplane, and so you know, he had sold his RV for a few years ago so he could fund his his uh, startup business, and he just bought a Kit Fox, and nice. the Kit Fox, you know, we bought it for five grand, you know, it needs some work, so you can fly without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, so I make my wife um, maybe tolerate aviation because it doesn't hit the home account that much. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a powerful thing about flight and it can be a tool that's destructive or it can be an awesome tool that connects people and the joys that you have of flying, especially when you do it within your means, you know, a lot of people say to get this experience, I got to overextend myself. Well, there's no joy in that anymore. But you can literally yeah. identify what you want to do. You can identify your price bracket and you can have success. You know, for some people it may be paramotors, other people, it may be a restoration project. Um, but yeah. it is amazing how a lot of people have in their mind that you've got to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get in the air. Yeah. And it's simply not the case. Yeah. yeah. I talk to people all the time, you know, oh, I want to fly, but you know, a new Cirrus is $800,000. Yeah. So don't buy a new Cirrus. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the Cirrus is an awesome airplane. You know, buy, you know, what's your budget? You know, people are like, oh, I want to learn how to fly. How should I do it? What flights go? I go buy an airplane. You know, my advice to everybody who wants to learn to fly is buy an airplane. That's and awesome. And they go, what should I buy? And I say, look for a tri-pacer. Yeah. Look for a, a Piper 150 horse. It'll do everything 172 will do. You can buy great ones for 25 yeah. and mediocre ones for 15. And the thing is you fly it, you get an instructor, you learn in it, you fly it, put hundreds of hours on it, or you keep it 30 years like ours. And yeah. you, um, you fly the airplane and just have fun. You got to realize getting a license is not, I'm going to fly once I have my license. You start flying at your first lesson. Yeah. And that's what's fun about it. Yeah, that's where the journey yeah. begins. I mean, I, I love talking yeah. to someone else that loves tri-pacers. This is so cool. Because you know? <laughs> there's 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 not a lot of love or respect, I feel, for tri-pacers. And they really are performers. 
Yeah, I actually I did the fabric on this and won uh, best fabric at the short wing piper convention, and uh, I was pretty proud of it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. incredible. I like I like doing stuff. You know, I may not be the best guy doing some things, but I I try a lot of things and I try to do the best I can. And I I like uh, working on my racer because I can if I make it four miles an hour faster by doing this tail, that's great. That's what's fun. If I can make the cub land a little shorter by putting the VGs on or changing the flaps, that's fun. Um, you can do all these things without spending a ton of money. And, you know, like, like the RC guys have a great time because you can build airplanes, go out and fly it. You can do that with real airplanes too, yeah. especially in the experimental category. Well, there's a powerful thing when you do it yourself, even if you screw it up, even yeah. if you mess it up, as long as the standard is it has to be perfect and stand, you know, safe. Um, you can redo yeah. it over and over and over again. And the only downside mm-hmm. is time. You, you, the investment yep. is not that bad, but also the experience and, and the abilities you get in, uh, doing it. Yeah. It lasts you a lifetime. Yeah. We actually, I, yeah. Creighton, you were, you at Oshkosh this past year? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah I, I was in the, we had a, a booth for Griplock guys over uh, in building D. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We probably walked by it then. Uh, there's just mm-hmm. so much to see there. I don't know if you ever got over oh, to, yeah, uh, it was somewhere near, near show central. There was a young gentleman, a young kid, I think he was like 20 or something. And he restored a, a Cessna 170 and, uh, it was, yeah, the, the red, red and black one. Yeah. He's got the interior company, uh, company now. Um, we, yeah. we actually shot a video we haven't released yet on it. Uh, we're waiting to hear back from him, but that was kind of the interesting thing because his his 170 restoration project it was wrecked and stuff like that. And we we interviewed him, we talked to him, and we we're like, "How did you learn how to do all this? And how do you how do you know that it's you know done right?" And he's like, "Well, he's like I basically re- not only did I redo every single part of the airplane," he said, "but also I redid it at least four times because I messed up three times." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so so yeah. It, it, as long as you get it eventually, like that's I guess that's where the learning comes. And that, that it makes because honestly, like uh, scratch building and and even just like kit building to me and and my dad and I have talked about it over the years. It's always been something kind of that seemed out of reach to me and uh, a little bit kind of scary, uh, you know, unknown. And like yeah. hearing that and hearing that it's it's kind of a learning process. It's you know, it is very similar to building models. And if you don't get it right mm-hmm. the first time, you just do it again and you take what you learned and you make it make sure it's perfect. And uh, I think that's the kind of the hurdle that a lot of people think of when they think about building their own airplane that they're going to fly. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, yeah. that's the thing is that you yeah. you actually learn as you do it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. When I when I was a kid, you know, I'd mow lawns to go by to go down to Mark's models, and I would just buy balsa and I'd buy glue and I'd buy motors and whatever I could and early radios and build my own RC and U control line and free flight and. And I just built stuff. And so building a model is really, it's no different than building a real, you know, a full-size airplane because you just do it piece by piece. Yeah. You know, and you, and you learn how to do it. And you got to you gotta realize that building is part of the fun. You know, it's not just flying. You know, some people, they don't want to build. They just want to fly. I'm somebody, I like building and flying and experimenting and learning new skills and um, you know, figuring out how to TIG weld so I can weld up my own four to one exhaust. And, um, <laughs> you know, 
Fun. Love it. That's awesome. Well, man, I want to meet you in person. I'm going to give you a big hug. I got yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Before we uh, before we let you go, uh, one last question. Well, first off, I have to give a shout out to uh, our buddy Trent Palmer. Uh, we we got in contact yeah. with him at actually it was at Oshkosh this last year, yeah. and it was because of him that we were able to connect with you and the rest of the Flying Cowboys. And it's just been an awesome experience. It's crazy how networking like that works. Um, but yeah. just just out of curiosity, curiosity, and you can be honest. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, how did, uh, how did Trent get involved in the flying Cowboys and what was your impression of him when you got this guy coming in, in the, uh, in the American flag kit Fox coming in young gun flying with you guys? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I, I love kit foxes when I, after I got my dad's airplane flying when I was 18, I ended up, um, building two kit foxes for a couple doctors up at the hospital. They'd bought kits and they couldn't build it. There's a Model 3 and a Model 4, nice. and so I built those kid foxes, but they never flew because they were waiting for the 914 Rotax engines to come out, and they ended up never flying those airplanes after they're already painted. I had them painted, you know, instrument. I mean, they were wow. ready to go, bolt an engine on it and fly it. Um, so I've always loved the kid fox. Um, you know, I met, you know, Trent a little bit out at uh, High Sierra mm-hmm. flying yeah, a few yeah. years back. But I don't know Trent as well as I know the other guys. Sure. Um, but Trent lives out in Reno. He he stopped by our pit there in at the Reno National Air Races. Mm-hmm. Um, I was out in Reno a couple weeks ago picking up the airplane. It came back from the in the container from Thailand, yeah. and uh, you know we were going to go out to lunch. Unfortunately, he had to. Uh, his parents were in town, so he didn't get to hang out. But uh, he's a yeah. really nice guy. I he didn't is. realize how talented he was with uh, his cinematography and. Yeah. video editing i mean just just amazing product you know you guys do a great job and, yeah so trent uh trent is definitely a unique guy and actually i've been meaning i haven't yet but I want, i'm going to encourage him to start incorporating more of his life into his videos that he does on youtube because the stuff that he does with drones and with his cinematography and stuff like that is, is absolutely incredible um yeah but anyway his his voice his voicemail is like Hey, I can't answer right now. I'm probably flying a drone for a super big movie or I'm flying my airplane. So, you know, text me or something. <laughs> Sounds totally like Trent. <laughs> Love it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did uh, Creighton, did you yeah. happen to get our package we sent you yet or is it still coming? I haven't yet. I'm, I was watching UPS show up um, this morning before I came out of the airport. I'm like, oh, that's, oh dang it. So, cool. Well, we, we figured uh, we send it to you, but it's it's goodies for you and the rest of Flying Cowboys as a thanks to uh, for taking us out on a, yeah. on a nice trip. But anyways, yeah, did you guys get those grip lock ties I sent you guys? Y- yes, I do believe so. Yeah, we have a set here Sweet. and uh, they're they're awesome. They're a little bit big for a lot of those small, tiny drones and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I, got, I got smaller ones coming. Such an ingenious oh, idea, nice. man. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll show everyone listening. We'll show you guys what we're talking about with his sweet zip ties in the uh, in the vlog. They're just basically like super grippy zip ties that are reusable. You can unclick them and uh, reuse them, which is pretty cool. I love I love the rubber on it, too, yeah. because it grips and it doesn't mar. Yeah. Well, Creighton, yeah. man, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, we we this has actually been Thanks, a guys. little bit of a long one. It's yeah. been such a great conversation. Well, we got to do it again. There's, I, I have a feeling there's there's yeah. a thousand more stories yeah. that need to be shared. Well, I was thinking about it, uh, Creighton. You were talking about. I mean, you were inspiring me just talking about how. Uh, aviation is something that is actually very reachable and you can, you can get into it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you do it the right way. And, uh, I kind of feel like we, we kind of share the same vision as far as that is concerned is, 
you kind of fill the gap between, you know, us and getting your actual pilot's license because we bring people in, you know, building airplanes out of foam board and barbecue skewers and popsicle sticks from the dollar store. And then from <laughs> there, awesome. from there, you can get into something like paramotors or even getting into, like yeah. you said, a tripacer or something like that. And you can really go out there and you can live the full aviation experience. It's, it's not as intimidating as a lot of people make it. And, uh, Creighton, my friend, you are an inspiration to many people, I'm sure. So thank you so much. Well, thanks guys. Uh, one, one quick note, my buddy Ezra here that bought this uh, kit box. Yeah. Um, you know, he showed up and he's like, oh, I said, I'm going to talk to the flight test guys. So he's putting new carburetors on it. And he's like, oh, I bought like four kits from those guys. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, he's tell like, him. yeah, I bought all the RC stuff from those guys. They're awesome. So, That's awesome. Well, cool. tell him, give him a hug for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Said thanks. Definitely. Well, well, hopefully we get to fly with you guys in person again. I'd love to get to meet you guys in person. Um, It was such an awesome experience seeing uh, both uh, Stefan and Alex come back, different people. And the video has definitely justified the reason why. And, uh, you know, thank (laughs) you for inspiring so many others. My pleasure, guys. Anything uh, anything you'd like to plug or share with our community before we let you go? Well, you know, of course, go to griplockties.com and get your own Griplock ties. Yeah, um, they're awesome. Check them out. Yeah, or follow Air Race One. You know, we do air racing around the world. And um, my buddy Ezra here, he's like, "Oh, tell him about my hot sauce. Heck, sauce. <laughs> sauce. He's got it on Amazon. Hot. Yeah, yeah. He's like, it's like the hottest stuff ever. And he's like, if I sell enough heck sauce, then I can buy like a super cub. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, we love hot sauce. All right. So what we need to do yeah. is take the hot sauce, put it in the airplane with grip lock, and and, and then yes. fly for something. You know, that'd, that'd be yeah. Perfect. Then we'll move it around with the best dog. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great episode. Love it, man. Well, and, great. Then, and then we'll film it all with a drone from Flight Test. There, there you go. Love it. <laughs> all right, so we get you to see you awesome. at Reno. Well, thanks yeah. so much, man. Gonna, go ahead. Sorry. I'm gonna go to Sun and I'm gonna go to Sun and Fun in a few months. So okay. nice. All right. on that. If you come, if you come down to that, it's kind of like Oshkosh in the south. Yep. I'm gonna try to fly my Cassett all the way to Florida. So. Whoa, that's you're crazy, man. Yeah, actually, our our yeah. paramotor friends are going to be there again. They're doing the uh, the air, the paradigm team is going to be doing their aerobatic thing at Sun and Fun. So I don't know if we oh, we, yeah, they were awesome. we don't have plans to make it there yet, but who knows? Maybe maybe we'll change that. You know, I could really use some Florida yeah. right now. Yeah. Well, Creighton, thanks so much, man. And thank you guys all for uh, listening. If you uh, haven't yet, please leave us a review on iTunes and on the Google Play Store. It helps other people who might be an aviation enthusiast. It helps them find us uh, so we can all hang out together here and talk aviation. Um, But, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.